Welcome to the Dog and Duck Show. I am your host uh, on the duck side, Mark, and joining me on the dog side, we have two dogs filling in for the great Warren Maynard. Warren is uh, on assignment working with uh, Connor Stallions to get some footage of the next Husky opponent. And so in his place, we have my good friends, Jake and JJ. Uh, Jake, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing well, Mark. It's an honor to be here. Big shoes to fill. And uh, it takes two of us to do so. So uh, it's an honor and a privilege. It does. It does take two of you. JJ, it feels like Warren is like the bell cow running back who gets 30 carries a game and he goes down with an injury and we're going to split him. We're going to give you each 15 carries tonight. Are you up for that? I'm up for that. It's uh, definitely podcast by committee tonight. <laughs> just just move the chains. That's all we need to do. Move the chains. Just to be well, clear, I'm, I'm the scat back in that scenario. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the fullback, so I don't know what we're going to do with this. <laughs> I I find it a little bit uh, suspicious that Warren bails on the podcast in which I get to lead in by asking him about the time when Michael Penix failed to lead his team to an offensive touchdown. That feels a little bit suspicious timing-wise, but uh, we'll give him a pass. Uh, I do – so I'll, obviously I, I want to dig into this game. I mean, we're several days removed – uh, but I've been mulling it over in my mind and I think I've landed on like four different ways of understanding this game that are not all in congruence with one another. So I wanted to kind of work through that with you guys and get your, your honest thoughts as Husky fans who were watching this game, who I know had some, some anxiety as things continued on late in the game. So if I'm if I'm kind of framing this as an outsider, here's one way of framing it would be this abysmal performance against Arizona State is just an aberration. We're going to look back on it. It's going to have no bearing on the rest of the season. They're going to go back to, you know, they're going to drop 45 on Stanford. They're going to pick up right where they left off. And there's going to be no residue from this game offensively over the rest of the season. Jake, is is that how you're looking at it? Or or is that maybe over-optimistic? Uh, I think that's a little on the overly optimistic side. I do think that, you know, it seems like every year, like, you know, Georgia has like a weird game against Vandy, you know, or uh, Clemson would have a clunker against Syracuse, right? Like there was always that weird game where like this playoff team should be crushing this this other conference opponent and yet there's this conference opponent that just makes life miserable for them and i feel like the arizona schools are that i mean washington has a losing record against three schools in the pac-12 and arizona state is one of them that is bonkers right like for their for their entire school history they have a losing record against arizona yes, i've only played since i think the 70s right it's not as long um but yeah i mean washington hadn't won there since Jay, I don't know if you remember, but it was like 2001 or something. Um, they went 15 straight years, uh, and they didn't play every year, but there was a 15-year span where they never beat Arizona State. Um, home or away. Yeah, home or away, right? Wow. So it was, I mean, there's just something about the Sun Devils that uh, give us trouble. And uh, I do think it's an aberration. Like, that looked like a John Donovan-led offense, right? For a, for a minute there, I was like, 
Yeah. Uh, is, is he back in the building? Because that's what it felt. It felt like we just can't move the ball. And when we do, it's a turnover. It was abysmal. And that is such an aberration from a Ryan Grubb, Kalen DeBoer offense. Um, I, I mean, I have no doubt that we are going to, you know, progress back to where uh, something more, more like where we started the season. However, I think it's just natural from pre, not preseason, sorry, uh, from non-conference to conference to now playing the best teams in your conference, your scoring average is going to go down. Your opponents get more film on you. They, they, they know your tendencies. Um, I do think that Arizona state kind of showed some things that teams like Oregon state and Utah that have bigger, beefier, better defenses can probably use to potentially stifle uh, and stymie UW's passing attack. Um, and I think UW's going to have to win some games like 24-21, 28-24. Uh, you know, they're not going to just run up and down the field on teams. Um, hopefully outside of Stanford, I think Stanford, we got a good chance to to really run it up on. But um, yeah, you know, this is the end of the season. It's conference play. Uh, it's tough to put up 40 points now. And I think that is, uh, that's going to be tough to to duplicate, especially repeatedly. Um, but so I don't, we're not going to see yeah. If that's true, JJ, we've talked about, we've had conversations putting this team in the context of like the Chip Kelly Oregon teams or even like 2019 LSU. That feels like we need to scale that back a little bit, but um but like I thought of, I immediately watching that game, I immediately thought of 2010 Oregon's undefeated season, uh, undefeated regular season. They had a game against Cal that that they won 15 to 13, and they needed a punt return basically to to take the lead, which was very similar to the, how this game felt. You know, needing the defensive touchdown, and that had no bearing on the rest of the season. Uh, but if if what Jake is saying is like, well, they're going to have to kind of continue to win some games with closer margins that they're not necessarily going to go back to scoring 40 points a game. That feels different than how we were talking about this team a few weeks ago. Is that is that fair? Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. <clears throat> Before I jump in, though, I do think it appropriate to wish a 40, a happy 49th birthday to Kalen DeBoer. It is his birthday today. Oh. So hey, let's do a 49. Maybe he was too busy with preparations for his party to Yeah, very well could have been. Together an offensive game. Um board. I think there's a lot of uh there's a lot of conflicting narratives as we think about this game. Um I, I lean towards this as an aberration. Obviously, uh if we see a similar output during Stanford, then now we're looking at potentially a pattern and that would be much more concerning. Um I don't think Arizona State is as bad as their record would indicate. Um, I think that's one. I mean, they they played like <laughs> they were on fire. I mean, they just were hitting the gaps. They were feisty. They were scrappy. I think uh, Dalen Ham's a, a good coach. I think he'll get his players and he'll be successful. So uh, they had a game plan dialed up for the Huskies that was really uh, got in Penix's head. There was some thought that maybe Penix was dealing with a little bit of a, uh, an illness of some kind. So, you know, that that could be uh, at play. But, you know, coaches didn't seem to use that as an excuse at all. They just mentioned that he was uh, a little under the weather. Um, it was clearly Ryan Grubb's worst performance. And if you talk to anybody close to the program, um, 
they seem to indicate that he walked out of the coach's box, you know, looking like, you know, um, like death warmed over. I mean, he looked like uh, he just lost the game and he should feel that way. Cause that was by far his, his, his there was no re- response to what Arizona was doing on defense zero and Penix was uncomfortable. Uh, I, I was watching the game going, why can't you be throwing these quick slants to receivers and completely nullify the, uh, the, 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 the rush. So who knows? I, I, I think the, uh, I think we can throw away the, not, not necessarily throw away the Heisman, but we can throw away the platitudes that say, oh man, this is the one of the greatest offenses of all time. Not because they don't have the potential to eventually get back to that spot, but I don't think it's helpful because this game is played one game at a time. And I think the last three weeks have indicated that there is maybe not chinks in the armor, but there's this, this team's human. Penix is human. They're getting dinged up a little bit and we're going it, to, it'll be a battle to, to finish uh, the PAC 12 unscathed. Yeah. As far as the, the last three weeks. So I looked it up the first four weeks of the season. This is when I proclaimed them the best team in the country. They averaged 50 points a game. The last three weeks, they've been averaging 27 points a game. Um, although the best performance they had in that stretch was against Oregon. Interestingly, the best team they've played in that stretch. So there may be some sense of not necessarily bringing, bringing their a game against the teams that, that they know they should be beating. Um, I think you're absolutely right that Arizona state is like the best one in one in six team or whatever they are. I mean, they've, they've gone down to the wire in almost every game that they've played. They, they had USC within a possession in the fourth quarter. They lost on the last second field goals to Cal and Colorado. They led Oklahoma state at the half in the game that they lost there. They've been ravaged by injuries. They've had four different quarterbacks get major reps. Um, They've been beat up on both lines. Kenny Dillingham was literally pleading for students from the general student population who weigh upwards of 330 pounds to come and join the team because he needed them on a field goal unit because that's why he didn't kick the field goal on, on the last possession there or on the possession that led to the pick six because he just didn't think that he had enough beef up front to ensure that it wasn't blocked. So they've had this season from hell and Dillingham somehow has had them like just fighting and scratching and clawing. And there was a feeling like this is their Super Bowl. This would make their season if they could score an upset like this. Washington is obviously coming off of a huge emotional week beating Oregon. So it's, it's to be expected that there would be a little bit of a letdown. Uh, I do wonder though, like the whole idea of like peaking too soon, we do see this sometimes in college football where we're like, oh, that team was like, you know, where it's like, oh, remember we thought Texas A&M was the best team in the country through X amount of weeks or, oh, remember this team. And then um, things change and you look back later in the year and are like, oh, that, that didn't work out that way. Feels, it feels dishonest to say that about a team that's still undefeated right like as long as they keep winning we can't really say that about Washington but it does seem like this is a team that has entered kind of the gauntlet portion of their schedule and and that just that takes like an emotional toll right like football is an emotionally charged game they're carrying this long winning streak they've been winning for over a year now without a break, like that's a long time to just keep at it, keep at it, keep at it. If you think about this game, I think 
<laughs> the fact that Washington didn't score an offensive touchdown and had four turnovers, negative three, you know, net turnovers and one. I mean, that, that does not happen. Yeah. Yeah. The odds of that have got to be astronomical. And so there is something to say about will, and actually to, to honor uh, your co-host Warren did text after the game, I think just to Jake and I, that should the Huskies make this a special season, this will be the last two games, Oregon and this one will be remembered forever. Um, just because of the, the one that the, the high of being Oregon and then somehow scraping at a W against all odds. I mean, I had, I had very little hope that the Huskies were going to be able to figure out how to, how to, how to win that game. And uh, so, yeah, I think we got a little help too. I was going to say, if it's remembered forever, will it be like a framed picture of Jabbar Muhammad grabbing the <laughs> Arizona state receiver with both hands firmly pulling on his Jersey? At different I'm sure. I'm sure Oregon, you know, there's been a couple onside kicks here and there that Oregon has benefited from. So a couple, I only remember one. I only remember <laughs> a couple calls. No. Yeah. Hey, the, let's just, let's talk about that call though for a second. Okay. We understand that like bad calls are a part of this, right? Like, and Jake, you mentioned there was a call in the first half where it felt similar, felt like there should have been a pass interference on a throw. Uh, no, no, no. Let's not say it, it felt like that makes it sound like it was my, that, he tackled him before the ball got anywhere near him. It was a blatant pass interference. And on the very next play, the Huskies fumble and Arizona state goes down and scores their only touchdown of the game. It was a pretty crucial no call. So, so here's, I, I actually sent a clip of both plays to my friend uh, who's a Beaver fan. Who's a, of a course you did. Alum. And I said, <laughs> give me an honest, give me a one to 10, 10 being the most obvious penalty in the world. Rank these two calls. And he said the call in the first half was a five. The call in the second half was a ten. Oh, that that is that is hornswoggle. Yeah. He did that not. Uh, no. He did not. We got We got to get a Mark. You need a larger sample size. Yeah, I'm. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, Mark, I mean that's a scientific survey. That's uh... that, that one in the first half was blatant, obvious. Two hands around Polk before the ball. I mean, on the replay, the announcers, everybody's like, "That's obviously PI. That's a missed call." Like. But whatever. Uh, so let's let's. So uh, okay, okay. I'm, I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. Dip, I I wanted to throw that out there just as a. As a wanted, yeah. No, but I do think I we need to talk about so, it. So they they were similar in that they both seemed like awful missed calls that were followed immediately by backbreaking turnovers. Sure. Um, one being in the first half when the score was zero zero. One being in the fourth quarter with like eight minutes to go. Seven six. Um, the one thing that I would say makes the second one much more egregious is that they actually threw a flag. Yeah. True. And then I don't disagree with that. Picked up the flag, which is like that, that takes it to an all time level of like, I would know, love to know what, what they talked about because what the conversation I, was about, right. When I first saw it granted. I mean, a TV copy live. Right. But when I first saw it live, I thought, Oh, that's a bad call. That, that wasn't PI. And, you know, with Muhammad protesting, I was like, come on, guys, let's pick up this flag. And then they do. And I was like, oh, great. Good job, refs. You got it right. And then they show the replay. And I'm like, oh, that that was definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I no. don't know what in the world they talked about that made them go, 
let's pick up this flag. Cause you, I mean, they did that twice in that game. And I feel like that rarely happens yeah. ever. Yeah. Yeah. And there, you know, go for it, Jay. Well, there's no doubt it was an egregious picking up of the flag. I mean, I, in our text thread, Mark, I hope that I was clearly yeah, yeah, in yeah, favor. You were, you were. You, I was, I, it was awful. There is no defense and maybe, you know, maybe the, you know, the PAC 12 commissioner uh, called in a favor, I, who knows, uh, or the big 10 commissioner called in a favor. Um, <laughs> regardless, there's no guarantee Arizona state would have been able to score. <laughs> even if, <laughs> Well, especially if, knowing, if that, knowing that, uh, that the field goal kicker was like not an option <laughs> because they didn't have enough bodies. Like that does make you think like, well, okay. So if Arizona state had a first and goal at like the eight and a half yard line or whatever, <laughs> like fine, they probably still don't score. <laughs> Look, they probably they still throw a pick, pick six. Yeah. No. And that's that it's such an interesting game and like walked away feeling simultaneously grateful for our defense which was it heroic or was it lucky or is Arizona State just terrible but to give up seven points when your offense can do absolutely nothing was was uh man well what a weird weird game if I were to give credit to the Washington defense I would say hey first of all you have um Arizona State was running for tough yards. Like that Scadabo, is that his Scadabo, name? Scadabo, man. Physical yeah. running back. So like Arizona State was like trying to exploit that part of the Washington defense and having some success, and then they seemed to go away with it. But Arizona State had a quarterback. Granted, he's their third string quarterback, but he did torch the Huskies last year for over 300 yards, and he didn't have anywhere near that kind of success this year. And, and Dillingham is a creative offensive mind. And I would have figured that if Dillingham got that kind of performance out of his defense, he could have just kind of schemed his way to 17 points to find a way to win this game. Like, so I do think Washington holding them to seven, forcing the game breaking turnover, you know, in the fourth quarter. I mean, I, I don't think that's, you disregard that just because of Arizona state's record like that, that still takes something to completely uh, shut down the opponent's offense, especially when you look over at your own offense and see them doing nothing to hold up their end of the bargain. And so I, I, I would give Washington defense some significant credit for that. I think one of the things is, I guess, maybe, maybe not concerning is maybe not the right word or, or maybe it is. I think so our offense goes. So, so do the Huskies. Um, and like in many ways, our offense, our offense is the best defense. And when we have a deep, an offense that can kind of score at will, and Mark, you and I talked about this in a previous podcast, it allows the defense to take a little bit more risks, play relaxed. But if they don't feel like they don't feel like it's all up to them, because even if they give up a touchdown or a long play, um, the offense can kind of score at will. And that had been a case up until you know the last couple of weeks, and so. Man, when push comes to shove, can the defense really buckle down and get the stop? And against Arizona State, they did. So, um, man, live and die by the fourth down—that's for sure. I am, I am gonna, <laughs> yeah, 
at some point, crazy. At some point, I, um, somebody is not going to go for it on a meaningful fourth down against the Huskies, and you're going to have to live with the consequences. <laughs> I got you know, I think I think for the Huskies, uh, if you want to be a championship team, you've got to find ways to win when your fastball isn't working. You know, and uh, sometimes that means the defense. Sometimes it means special teams, right? Sometimes it means uh, the running game for us, right? Like you've, people are going to take away the Michael Penix trio. Um, and you've, you've got to find ways to win in a, in a street fight, you know? And I think this is, this is one of those, uh, you know, this doesn't, this is not a death row defense, you know? Um, since we held Arizona state to seven, I don't think that, you know, we go, all right, you know, bring on anybody, but yeah, it does give me some hope that like, okay, we can win even when we don't have our best stuff. Um, and I think that that's the kind of thing a championship team needs to be able to do. Uh, that being said, please give me some more Michael Penix, Roma Dunze, some more offense next time. Um, and I think the, the big thing going forward is I want to see like, okay, we will forever remember the Penix to a Dunze uh, second play of the two play drive that gave them the lead in the Oregon game. That was a beautiful ball, beautiful catch. Um, and that's an iconic play, but I also think like part of me gets a little worried that they like to play kind of some of that jump ball, you know, let's throw it deep. Hey, my guy, let's throw a 50, 50 ball. And I really want to see them. Like JJ said, when they're, when Arizona state is double blitzing their line linebackers in the a gap that leaves the middle of the field exposed. Cause they had two high safeties back cover in the deep ball. And we did not exploit that at all. And there were multiple times I heard this, these comments from uh, Ryan Grubb and, and others who watched that there were the tight ends, there were guys on slants across the middle and Penix was throwing outside, throwing deep um, and, and, and looking off these wide open Quentin Moore was wide open on the, on the, the PI to Polk. Um, and he's not taking what the defense is giving him enough, I think. And so I, I really think there's got to be, I don't know if it's Heisman pressure. I don't know if it's just, you know, Hey, that's the fun play. Right. But it kind of feels like a basketball team that's chucking threes when they could dump it off down low for the easy lay in. And uh, I want to see Washington be better about, Hey, let's take six, seven yards and move the chains. Right. And we can do that. And then when we get down to the red zone, punch it in, but we don't need to, you know, have that flashy 22 yard 50, 50 ball to Rome, uh, be the big play all the time. I I think that's a good analysis, JJ, because there is something like, I, have, or I mean, Jay, I'm sorry, Jay. Sorry. you're welcome. You're welcome, Mark. Yeah. I do think, um, I think, I think that's a good analysis, uh, of there's a little something about like the Steph Curry warriors to that, where it's like, just because you can do this, doesn't mean you need to do this all the time. Like we we've seen you do it enough to know that you can, but like there's sometimes where that's not necessarily what's called upon. Uh, well, let let me close with this before we we transition. Um, I obviously they're not going to get that much of a challenge from from Stanford. I think that's safe to say. They play USC, who could really challenge their defense, but USC's own defense is you know ranked 
out of the top hundred in, in scoring defense. So it doesn't figure like they're going to be the team to put the clamps on this offense either. So that leaves Utah and Oregon state, right. Uh, as kind of the two most likely teams to not, I'm not even saying do something similar. I don't think another team's going to hold the Huskies to 15, but is there a team that can hold them to 27, you know, and, and then find enough offense to win. Are you, would you say you're more concerned about the Utah game or the Oregon state game as you look ahead to the schedule? JJ. I'm worried about the Stanford game. <laughs> Why are we dismissing uh, good, good Stanford? <laughs> um, I mean, I th- I'm looking at this going, we should roll 26 and a half point favorites, but we were 26 and a half point favorite against Arizona state. I've got, you know, as a Husky fan, um, We've lost a lot of games on the farm. Uh, the stadium's going to be empty. Uh, no enthusiasm to feed off of. And, yeah. So, I would have thought last week, um, it was like, okay, man, we are so lucky to have Arizona State and Stanford kind of back-to-back, allow us to get healed. Penix will take a break in the third quarter, call this good. And now I'm like, dude, all bets are off every game at this point. Uh, but if you want me to look past, I mean, I think it's a little we'll touch, foolish to we'll look past the USC. Stanford game. We we don't need to completely dis. We, okay, we'll touch on the Stanford game in a minute. Okay, I, I'm more is- I'm more worried about uh, Oregon State. Okay, because of what they can do defensively, or because they have more offense to balance it out. I think offensively, I think their run running attack is really concerning, and and that game's also on the road versus you correct at home, right? Yeah, Jake, do you feel this similar? I'll I'll take I'll take uh, I'll actually go the other way. Um, I have been a big Beaver believer this year, um, and that game, that game definitely concerns me for the reasons you mentioned. They're so balanced, um, and I mean Oregon State and Utah are very similar teams too. They've got decent quarterbacks that have had good games, but also sometimes appear to be very, uh, you know, kind of game manager like. Um, they've got big beefy lines, good running games, especially now that, uh, Utah has converted their defensive back. Um, but I, I also, I, I worry more about, uh, Kyle Whittingham than I do, uh, uh, Jonathan, help me out. Jonathan, uh, uh, Jonathan, Jonathan Smith. Smith. Thank you. I was like, Jonathan Groff. No, that's, that's not right. Uh, <laughs> Jonathan Smith. Uh, I mean, he kind of helped the, the Huskies out last year too with going forward on fourth down, if you remember. So right. hopefully he just continues to drink the fourth down Kool-Aid. Um, but I Utah is just that freaking team that you're like, boy, they are always tough and they seem to be hitting their stride. And I know we'll be talking about them a lot with Oregon. Um, but I, yeah, I worry that they are, they are like Arizona state, but better. And so I, I think I I would be a little bit more concerned about Utah. Well, we'll have plenty of time as the season goes on to get into those future matchups. Uh, let's let's switch gears and talk about your guys' favorite subject, the Ducks, for a little bit here. Uh, if you'll indulge Did me. Did they even play this last weekend? <laughs> they played a, uh, a okay. full opponent, the Washington State Cougars. Uh First time, I think, in five years that this game was not a one-possession game heading into the fourth quarter, so that was a nice change. Um, Ducks win 38-24. to 24. It was 
what was it? It was 38 to 16 with a minute to go. And then the Cougars tacked on a garbage time score there to uh, cover the spread. So anybody that was betting on the Cougs, they, they got their money's worth. Um, I guess here, here's my question kind of as I'm looking to diagnose uh, this game or, or trying to find something from this game that is meaningful and, and there's something offensively, something defensively. And I'm curious what you guys think about what should be a bigger concern to Oregon fans. So Oregon uh, has now kind of developed, I would say, a habit of starting slow. This game was 10 to 3 in favor of the Cougs midway through the second quarter. That's a theme that follows along with their games against Texas Tech and Stanford and Washington and now Washington State. So they've got, you know, this theme of really kind of slow starts to the offense and then getting it cranked up. I think they went on a 35 to 6 run basically over the next. 30 minutes of game time. So that's on the offensive side. You've got just the slow starting offense on the defensive side. uh, After I think defending Penix like pretty well um, considering, you know, I think uh, we felt like that was a pretty good defensive performance against Washington. They gave up 438 passing yards to Cam Ward uh, yet also came through with with some big plays. They sacked him six times, six different players reported a sack. They stopped him three times for field goals. They topped him three times on fourth down. So they came through with some big plays and some big moments, gave up a ton of yards between the 20s, most of what most of which happened when Cam Ward escaped the pocket. So if Oregon fans are kind of looking at what is what is the thing to be more concerned about? Is it the slow starting offense? Or is it the defense uh, giving up over 400 yards to Cam Ward? Jake, what what would you say if you were in a Duck fan's shoes? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I I think it'd be the defense. Um, Because, you know, your offense has been consistent, right? And I think it doesn't – yeah, a slow-starting offense – isn't really a big deal. Um, I'd worry about, I, I mean, cause those sacks, it's like turnovers. They come in bunches. Right. And so it can be kind of fluky. So you get six sacks and it's like, yeah, th- I mean, that changes everything. Right. Uh, but if you're, if you're continually giving up three fifty, four hundred 400 yard passing games, that's going to burn you eventually. So I think as a as a duck fan, I would be more concerned about that. Um, but yards can be a misleading statistic too, right? Like, um, so I I don't know. I don't I don't think there's a lot. I, I didn't having watched that game. I I was just like uh, the the ducks are so much better than the Cougars. Like the Cougars were everybody's you know Cinderella. It was like oh they're gonna they're gonna run the table in the back twelve this year because they're pissed. And then all of a sudden we went oh. That's right. Oh yeah. Cougars. And everybody remembered that. And I don't know if Dickert is already, you know, his mind's in East Lansing or what, uh, if that's what's happening. But uh I, I mean the Cougars are they're gonna be a decent team. They're a good team, seven and five, eight and four. And you guys did to them what you should have. Um, and so I I don't I mean, I was I thought both of these Oregon Washington teams would have a little bit of a hangover coming out of last week. And clearly Washington did. 
Uh, and equally as clearly, Oregon did not. Um, I thought they came out and just played a dominating game. And this was kind of one of those where stats are a little misleading, I think. Um, and the final score was too. This game was just utterly dominated. Um, and so the yardage didn't really matter. But yeah, I mean, you don't want to regularly give up 400 yards because that's that's going to come back to bite you. Yeah, I bring I bring the question up because there has been some interesting discussion amongst Oregon fans about Will Stein as a play caller, uh, where there's a sense that like um, so like if you look at statistically what Oregon is doing right now is it's like they're number one or two in the nation in yards per game, points per game, yards per carry completion percentage like kind of these fundamental stats that indicate like the offense is performing at a pretty high level pretty good have Oregon fans that are saying things like I wish you'd get the tight ends more involved you know <laughs> <laughs> and and it does feel a little bit like maybe maybe the the standard is a little too high that it's kind of like if 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 you're not watching this offense and just kind of saying like I think they're performing pretty well. It does seem, um, yeah, it seems pretty curious. Although I guess the fourth down play calling would be the one area where <clears throat> there would be reason for criticism, right, JJ? So much criticism. <laughs> <laughs> um, JJ, you asked me a question about where Bucky Irving kind of ranked amongst Oregon running backs. And I was kind of like, well, he's not like, he's not near the top, you know? And I think I was primarily thinking in terms of like, well, career stats, he hasn't been here as long as other guys. He's in his second year. He's likely going to, you know, put his name in the draft. I would think after this year. So he's not going to, he's not going to pile up the career numbers that some of the all-time greats have had. But after you, you brought that to my attention, you you kind of caused me to think about that a little bit. I started thinking about it a little more. So he is averaging for his career at Oregon over seven yards per carry. He's averaging seven and a half yards per carry this year. Jordan James, who replaced Noah Whittington, is averaging eight yards a carry, uh, which is just ridiculous. And I, I compared that to some of the other Oregon greats. So like LaMichael James, I think, you know, one of the greatest running backs of all time, 6.6 yards a carry Kenyon Barner 6.2 Royce Freeman 5.9 those are the three best running backs in Oregon history and Bucky Irving is like per carry has been more productive than those three backs and that that was an astounding mm. astounding revelation to me but it seemed like you were kind of prompting me in that direction when you when you raised that question no I I think Bucky Irving I mean he passes every test um Passes the eye test. He's he's shifty. He's twitchy. He's tough. Golly, I mean, he he carried a couple uh, a couple piles. He's a really impressive back. Um, is he is he gone next year? I would guess so. I mean, running okay. backs have such a short shelf life. And I think looking it- at how dominant your your ducks are. It's just really got a sting that this team lost to the Huskies. <laughs> <laughs> really? 
that's true. Two years in a row. I mean, honestly, how does you how yeah. I mean the the looking at where the Huskies are at after Arizona State and looking at Oregon after Washington State, it's a weird feeling because it feels like the ducks are are uh man, they're riding high and the Huskies are like on their heels. Um and yet we have to recognize as Husky fans, we beat this team. Right. Um, and we have the leg up as a result. Um, you, but you I think this, this is. You have more margin for error uh, as the season goes on. I do think that something interesting happens after a loss, though, in that. It's galvanizing. Know, most most coaches would say their t- teams improve the most after your first loss of the season. Maybe by 5%, according to Dan Lane. Um, is that what, oh, I don't know if you saw that. talking about the, the GPS tracking and how yeah, fast they're yeah. running it. Practice. Yeah, they're moving five percent faster. Um, um, it is interesting though because the, the 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 fact that that Duck fans, and I get it as a Husky fan, no fan is ever content ever. You you know you go on any message board of any team, and there's just really irrational fans. It is crazy to me that this offense could be as good as it is, but doesn't feel as good as it is. Like, I think the days I, I think of... That's why I'm asking you guys about this, because it does seem like there's a greater sense of dissatisfaction than, like, there ever was with, like, the Chip Kelly offenses. Right. But, like, numbers-wise, it adds up, but yet it doesn't, it doesn't not necessarily feel the same. And I'm curious as an outsider, I mean, you, you guys just went, went to a game where you saw it up close and personal and there were times where it moved the ball with great success, but yet were you like fearful of Oregon when they took over possession with six minutes to go or, or did you feel like we can get a stop here? Uh, no, I think the ducks can, they can move the chains and I'd be interested to hear Jake's point too, but I think part of it is it does feel like Nick's is, um, throttled down a little bit they don't take a ton of shots downfield um obviously you got some big plays i mean the biggest play of the game was probably that uh, screen play to uh to bucky irving which i don't know if you watched that play there was a defender that literally had no idea what was going on in the play yeah Yeah. and then and then Patrick I had no idea. What was he looking at a at a you know a cute girl in the stands or just he thought, like literally he thought one of the players because they sent a couple players deep and he basically he thought one of those guys caught the pass or something like that. Like he was yeah, I mean, just get just leveled by Patrick Herbert. Um, and he would have been in perfect position to at least you know divert <laughs> uh, Irving's lane. And then obviously Irving had another uh, another long play. But I think from a from just an eye perspective there's just not a lot of like explosive plays that Oregon has it's it is the eight yards at a time slow you know but moves the ball kind of at will and I don't know where Oregon Duck fans are are complaining because it's obviously successful and it was really successful against the Huskies obviously we know a couple fourth down uh, plays converted and the game's a different story so it's a good team I think uh, one to quote the late great Mike Leach, uh, you know, I think it's because Oregon fans are dumb, fat, happy, and entitled. You know, I mean, that's... <laughs> no, uh, I, I, <laughs> I, I was agreeing with you, Jake. Yeah, no, that, yeah, it was the shoe fit. And some of them could be, some of them could be, uh, you know, offensive linemen for Arizona State. 
I, uh, I, I honestly think what it is, is that style of play, right? I think about this comparing it to like the Seahawks, which I think the, the Ducks are, you know, much better offense than the Seahawks uh, at their respective levels. But um, the Seahawks are like a running team, right? And ha- that have had that identity forever under Carroll. And the problem with that is no matter how good you are at running, um, you are one penalty away or one one TFL or one sack away from being behind the chains yeah. and killing a drive, right? Whereas, um, you know, when you're when you've got a more prolific offense, right? If it's first and twenty, you're like, all right, that's all right. We'll pick up ten yards here. We'll pick up five yards there, and we'll be in third and five. Like, yeah. not a big deal. Um, but with the Ducks, it's like, okay, yeah, if you're staying, you know, uh, on, on script, then it's tough to beat your offense. Like you guys are a juggernaut, but the problem is there's just so little room for air in that situation. And so then, you know, you get a holding call, it's first and 20 and now, Hey, we stopped Bucky for four or five yards. Now you're looking at second 15 and you seem to get into some uncomfortable positions there sometimes. So, um, I mean, that that does feel a little nitpicky, but I think that's maybe why this offense doesn't quite have that same feel because uh, I don't know when it, when it was operating under chip too, it just seemed like, you know, first down, I remember Mark, we'd talk about this, like first down was the most important down in your series because if you were in second and 10, all of a sudden it's like, oh, they got to pass the ball here. And that might, you know, they might yeah. have slowed down. And that really set, like, that's how it seemed like Stanford would always beat you. It was like, right. shut down first down. Um, and so I, I don't know. I think that's probably what I would would diagnose as maybe being the 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 reason for some Duck fans to have a little bit of ire. Yeah. I mean, the... Um... The interesting thing is, is in the chip era, they, they never had anything close to a receiver like Troy Franklin. Like he's, he's the best, he's going to be the best receiver in Oregon history and Oregon's Oregon would have some offensive years where they would average basically 50 points a game and their best wide receiver might have like less than 500 yards receiving. (laughs) So like it, it is kind of funny how we think back of a certain era and maybe emphasize certain things and and forget other things but uh there is let me ask you this a question oh go ahead mark no please go i was gonna ask you a question because you know let's say this was uh a couple years ago and it was a classic you know you only the north and the south each sent their best best team to to the pac-12 championship if you're in that position with that type of scenario you as a duck fan have got to be feeling gosh, we, we royally missed our chance because the Huskies are going to have to lose twice in order right. for us to get to Vegas. But now that the Ducks have everything in front of you, does that factor in in terms of kind of that that team kind of galvanizing around, dude, everything we want is still there. We're, we're, we want revenge on the Huskies come, come December. A hundred percent. And I think that's a great way to transition to this coming weekend's games and specifically Oregon's game at Utah. Um, I had mentioned to Jake off air that I, I feel like I'm more 
anxious about this upcoming game against Utah than I was about the game of the Huskies. I was excited about the Husky game. Uh, I did feel going into it like I had just kind of a, a hunch that Washington might be a little better, or at least that they were, that it might be Washington's game that they might win. Um, like I was kind of like 55, 45 on that. I mean, um, so I was kind of already kind of bracing for that, I think in my own mind, but I think part of, part of the reason that I was kind of maybe taking on that approach is thinking we can afford to lose to the Huskies win out, play them again. And I'd rather beat them the second time than the first time. And it was like, I was already doing like the mental gymnastics around <laughs> how, how to like cope with, with a loss in a game. I really didn't want to loss in, but to your point, like now they're playing Utah and this feels like an elimination game, you know, as far mm-hmm. as the conference championship for any hopes of like reaching the college football playoff, this feels like a game that like, if they win this, then essentially their hopes are, are zeroed out. And, um, and so that feels much more agonizing, even though I, I don't, I like I, Utah's uh, I think Oregon's right now, like a seven point favorite. It's gone up since it was first posted. Uh, that seems high to me. Um, so like, I think Oregon is probably the better team, especially since they just, have a more capable experienced quarterback but like there's nothing about playing utah that makes me feel comfortable and and so yes not not having the divisional format certainly made that husky loss feel like it was possible to like rectify but if oregon loses to utah and then doesn't have the opportunity to go back and rectify that then it feels like there will be multiple stages of grief coming in. It will be the grief of losing to Utah and then now the grief of not being able to get a rematch with the Huskies. It would all come crashing down at the same time. If that answers your question. No, it does. 100%. So how how are you feeling about this game? You know, coming into to Rice-Eccles, Whittingham, is clearly proving again that he is the most underrated coach in all of college football. Uh, the Utes have had, you know, the Ducks number um, hey, easy, over the yeah. years. Easy. Well, I mean, yeah, last year, yeah, which was a really impressive game last year. But uh, um, this has actually been. Um kind of a wildly entertaining, compelling back and forth between these two teams. This is the seventh time in the last 10 meetings that they've both been ranked. So there've been a lot of times where they both brought in a pretty good team. Um, Both have blown out the other one in a conference title game. Oregon blew out Utah in 2019. Utah blew out Oregon in, in 2021. That was, that was the year when they beat Mario in two of his last three games kind of sent Mario off to Miami with his tail between his legs. Um, so, but, you know, Oregon uh, won last year in Austin, a really physical, physical game that came right down to the wire. Uh, but winning at Utah is a, is a different animal. Do you guys remember, Jake, do you remember the last time Oregon won at Utah? Any guess as to what year that might have been? Ooh. Or, or who any of the principal characters were? Oh, gosh. 
Mark, that is a tall ass. I'm just going to tell you. I'm not, I'm not expecting you to get it. Is this the game that they dropped the ball in the end zone? No, 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 no. That, 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 that happened. Prior. Um, no, it was Mark mm. Helfrich's last year, his four and eight season. Oh, yeah. Freshman Justin oh. Herbert, and they went into Herbert Utah, threw a yeah threw a last second touchdown pass to I think it was to Johnny Johnson um, or Carrington, wasn't it? Or to Darren Carrington, that's right, to to pull the upset, and uh, that was the last time that Oregon went to Utah and came out victorious. Utah's got the longest. What year was that? Streak. That was twenty sixteen. Ah, oh, what else happened that year for Oregon? Uh, I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I know. It was, they, um, it's right on the tip of my tongue. Yeah, Dakota Pop had had some games, so yeah, I don't, I don't remember. They dressed up like Cal. Yeah, there was <laughs> like a lopsided. They wore their like webfoot uniforms, I think. Yeah, I don't remember that. I don't yeah, remember. yeah, that's all. I, I think you were there, Mark. Yeah. No, I was going to say Utah longest home winning streak in the Pac-12, eighteen game home winning streak. Um, They've got this converted safety. Have you guys followed this story? Sione Vaki, who they ran out of running backs, basically. I feel like this only happens with Utah. It's like they ran out of running backs, so they move a starting safety to running back. He's still a starting safety. He's still playing like 65 snaps a game on defense. But the last two weeks, he's been running the ball, and he's running like an all-conference running back. I think he had over 200 yards of offense the last game against USC. So that's a factor because I do think if Oregon has a weakness that has shown up on the defensive side of the ball, like their running game for Washington and for Texas Tech was both pretty effective. And this, I think Utah might be able to do that with even more effectiveness than either of those two schools. It's much more in their identity to just pound the ball over and over again than Washington or Texas Tech wanted to do. So I was going to ask you that, Mark. It feels like your guy's strength, right? Running the ball uh, is Utah's strength on defense, right? Like they're they're stout, they're big, and if anybody can can slow down your rushing attack, I would think it's it's Utah and Oregon State would be the teams I'd be most concerned about remaining on your schedule, right? So, do you think this is the game that JJ alluded to it earlier that Bo Nix has to open it up a little bit more? has to make more plays downfield. They got to get more receivers involved. Um, or or do you think, I mean, how do you see this playing out? So a couple, a couple things. Um, Utah, they're, they're the most physical team in the conference, right? And a couple of years ago, I mentioned that stretch with Mario where he lost to them twice in three games. Utah was by far the more physical team in those two games, which was really demoralizing because that was four years into Mario's tenure. He's an offensive line guy. That was supposed to be kind of his thing is like, we're the most physical team on the block. And it just wasn't the case. And that was really demoralizing. Mm -hmm. Last year, Oregon beat them in just a slugfest where it was kind of these two bloody boxers just, you know, leaning on each other by the end of the game. And I think for Oregon fans, that was a real encouragement that it was like, when was the last time we, we were as tough as Utah? Like it's been a long, it's been, it's been several years since we, since we felt that way. And I noticed, so uh, Oregon took a break from their cinematic recaps during, during the week after the Washington yeah. game. That was but weird. They, 
they came back after the Washington State game, and and it did have a brief reference to uh, what happened in Seattle. Um, but uh, in the locker room, you know, both halftime and after the game against the Cougars, you hear Lanning kind of basically talking about how, like, it's the more physical team that's going to win this game. It's the more physical team that's going to win this game. And it almost felt like, well, of course, they're going to be more physical than the Cougars, right? Like, nobody's really surprised by that. But it does feel like that's laying the groundwork for what this game will feel like. And I think Oregon is going to look at this game as like, we have to be tougher at the line of scrimmage. Like that's, that's the way to win this game um, is, is it's going to come down to like, who's, who's stronger at the point of attack. And I think if, if that's not working, then I do think you're going to see them. They're going to have to open it up. It's going to be a little more on Knicks. I think you might see Knicks run the ball a little more than we have this year. That did kind of happen against Texas Tech. When Texas Tech bottled up the running game, Knicks became a lot more of a factor running the ball. It's really the only game that he's done that consistently. So I think that that will be part of the game plan, but I think the Oregon coaching staff right now is hammering home that like this is – this is a street fight and they have to be the tougher team. And I think that's, that's the mentality that they're trying to hammer into these guys, which is dangerous, right? Because Utah, like you don't necessarily want to get in a street fight with Utah. I don't think you should read too much into those comments though, because I'm sure that he and his sports psychologist scripted that out ahead of time. Mm -hmm. I don't think that necessarily. (laughs) I, I, think never should have, I never should have told you guys about the sports. You never should have, Mark. You never should have. Um, well, I want to ask Jake a question as, as a fellow uh, Husky fan. Are we rooting for the Utes? Uh, yes. Short answer. Because yeah. we've already beat Oregon and we have to play Utah, right? So I think if we, if we do that, then we, one, that pretty much guarantees that we don't have to face Oregon in the Pac-12 title. And two, I think it leaves Utah being a tougher remaining opponent, right, in the eyes of the nation. Um, and so a win against Utah looks better in that situation. Um, but I also kind of am looking at this going, I I think I'll be kind of, like Mark has said in the past, I'll, I'll be, whatever happens at the end of this game, I'll be writing the script for why that works out better for Washington, you know? Um, of but course, I think, as it should be. Yeah, right now I'm going. I because I'll be honest, and this this is out of respect for the Ducks. I have no desire to see them again. I do not want to play the Ducks again. Oh yeah. Um, so, uh, if Utah can take care of them, you know, in my mind, like the Huskies are going to lose a game, and whether that's to Oregon State or uh, Utah or USC, I I think it's going to be one of those. So. If it's a, you know, whatever at that time, they'd be nine in Utah. Um, I think that that's better than an, an eight and two Utah, right? So JJ um, just gave you a look when you said the Huskies are going to lose the game. JJ, have you not resigned yourself to that? Or are you saying, no, this is still, this has the makings of a 12 and 0 season? Um, yeah. I mean, we're going to be favored to win every game moving forward. Um, now, granted, obviously, if we lose, and that changes things. Um, I still think the Huskies can win every game. I predicted that. Um, it is an interesting place to be. I'm actually not. I mean, I, I do think the game 
if Oregon and Washington play again on a neutral field, it'll be really, um, yeah. I mean, I think that that kind of tips the scales a little bit, maybe. Um, but I, 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 I bring on Oregon, baby. I mean, I think we beat Oregon playing a B plus game or a B game without our best, you know, you know, second best receiver. Um, if we are healthy, I still take or I still take Washington to beat the Ducks. So at this point, it's an interesting place to be because I don't really care. I mean, I would love for the Utes to win because I'll never root for the Ducks. Always want them to lose. Um, but is it, it's a it's an interesting place to be as a Husky fan where we don't really have to worry about who wins this game or loses this sure. game. I woke up this morning and I. I reminded my wife of something. We went on vacation to the Oregon coast uh, uh, months ago. Now, like this is like nine months ago. Great time of the year, by the way, to be at the Oregon coast in like January. It's just beautiful. And uh, we were, we were near this place called Winchester Bay and they had a, they have a, they have an amazing goodwill. Okay. Little, little props to the goodwill in Winchester Bay. Uh, They have more college memorabilia. I found Missouri sweatshirts, Kansas State sweatshirts, Weber State sweatshirts. There were sweatshirts and and shirts for almost every college program you could want. And I seriously contemplated buying. I'm glad I didn't do this now that the Pac-12 is dissolving. But I was going to buy one of every Pac-12 team so that if I ever got to go to an Oregon game you know, like <laughs> Utah, I'd have a Utah sweatshirt be an honorary Ute fan for the, for the week. Right. And I remember specifically looking at that Utah sweatshirt and going, Kel, I need, I think I need to buy this Utah sweatshirt. And she goes, what in the world do you need a Utah sweatshirt for? And I explained my thinking to her that, you know, I I'll be a Utah fan the week they play Oregon. And she goes, I love you, but that is the worst idea you've ever had. And I was like, okay, I won't do that. And this morning I woke up and I looked at her and told her about this podcast. And I was like, you know, I really shit out of you, Tom. Yeah. And she still didn't understand it, you know, was still giving me that look. But uh I I yeah, I'm with you, Jay. Like I I want Utah to win and I don't like cheering for Oregon, that's for sure. Uh but I yeah, let's Utah's dangerous team, but uh I want I want the ducks out of the way. Let's so let's that finish. It would be nice. Let's um well let, let's give some uh predictions on um Oregon Utah and then a brief prediction on Washington Stanford. But what do you guys think? Final score, Oregon Utah, and uh, who's going to win? JJ, why don't you go first? Oh, I think Oregon's going to win. Um, what is it? Seven and a half points. Seven was the last that I saw. I think Utah covers. I think we're looking at a field goal. Um, but I think the Ducks are up 10, middle of the fourth. Utah goes down and scores. And Oregon has to convert a fourth down to uh, seal the deal. Because you actually do that against – you do that against Utah, not against any other team. Jay, can I, can, I ask, can I ask you a little truth serum question? Are you doing this to like reverse curse the Ducks, or do, is this what you actually think will happen? No, I think the Ducks are going to win. I think I think they're going to win. 
I mean, I would, I would yeah. totally expect the reverse curse, right? Like lay, lay, lay all that, that on them. Well, but. I mean, here, I mean, it's sports psychology. I was talking to my sports psychologist uh, this morning. He was As helping me yeah. craft. <laughs> I was going to say in the podcast, the beauty is if I pick Oregon to win, then great. If they win, I win. <laughs> but if I pick them to, if I, you know, and then if the Ducks lose, it'll be like, I win because the Ducks lost. So no, as a guy um, who has picked against Washington the whole year, I completely understand where you're coming. <laughs> now that's I'm going to say 20s. I'm going to say 27, 24. All right. 27, 24 Ducks. JJ has all these dramatic happenings uh, in the final minutes. Uh, Jake, what's your prediction? Uh, I envision a similar game to last year. I think it being in Utah big advantage Utah there. Um, I I still think for the Utes, the big question mark, right? Bryson Barnes. Is that his name? Bryson Barnes? Bryson Barnes. Uh, yep. Yeah, the pig farmer. Uh, I just <laughs> love so that. Like, is there a more Utah story? I mean, I know you said that the converted running back or converted defensive back, but I think the better story is the pig farmer. And I love Whittingham's comments. So like, well, they got the Heisman uh winner over there but we got a pig farmer over here like that's just fantastic um i think though there's still a question there like are they going to be able to i mean because their offense looked putrid for the first month of the season and now you know they've had two games where it's looked pretty good but one of those games was against usc so i'm i'm not ready to anoint utah as this you know prolific offense or great team that's that's gonna beat anybody and everybody um but i think they just have a way of they're getting to that point where they kind of all right we are gonna drag you into this phone booth and we are gonna beat the pulp out of you and if you can stand up to it then we'll shake your hand after the game um i think i think utah walks away with a win here i'm looking at like 24 20 is what i i kind of i imagine Jake is going with the Utes to pull it out. All right, Mark, you're up. Don't Jake, just real quick. Don't you think that um, having some certainty that Cam Rising is not coming back helps this quarterback feel more assured in the role? Helps the rest of the offense kind of become more cohesive around him? Or is it because the um, every week it was like, is Rising coming back this week? Is Rising I, coming back this week? I don't know what that was like for the team, right? Like, yes, if if the team was in that state of mind, then yes, I 100% agree with you. But I would imagine that Whittingham, uh, probably like the team had a better idea of that Rising wasn't going to be coming back. Um, so I don't know that that their psyche really changes. Um, but I think if, if they didn't, right, if there was some going to hope that they were holding out that, okay, we just got to, you know, we got to survive until Cam's healthy. Um, then, yeah, I do think that they can kind of galvanize around around Barnes. Um, and he had a heck of a game against USC. Like that was a, a gutsy performance. And uh, but I, I just I think Oregon is too good to Barnes is not going to light you guys up for three hundred yards. And that's not I'm not trying to put the jinx on. Um, he just has shown no ability to do that. Um, but can he, you know, run for some pretty hidden yards and pick up some key first downs and uh, and do enough to win? Yeah, 
I uh, I don't um, dispute that, but I'm obviously I'm going to pick the Ducks, and I'm going to say th- I'm going to say thirty-one twenty, and I think they get a late score to kind of ooh they cover, huh? I, yeah, I think I think it's like it's in yeah it's like twenty-four twenty fourth quarter, they put a drive together and kind of put the game away, and mm-hmm. I think the difference is just that Barnes isn't quite able to make enough offense. Um, Do you? Th- do you envision that like is Oregon scoring 31 points because like you get a special teams, you get a pick six. Um, do you, or do you see like Nick's hitting some deep balls this game? Do you see the running game? Continue yeah. I mean, Oregon um, has not really forced a lot of turnovers. They've only turned the ball over one time all year, knock on wood, um, which is kind of incredible through seven games. They don't force a lot of turnovers, but I feel like that's coming. Like they're going to have a game like the Texas tech game where they force three or four turnovers. So it would make sense if that was against an less experienced quarterback in a game like this. Uh, so I could see something like that kind of swinging the game in their favor, but I think, I mean, 31 points would be their lowest total on the season. So that would be something for the Utah defense. Like th- that would mean that things weren't necessarily coming easy, but I think they'll scratch together some weird drives where, Nick's checks down, checks down, completes a third and two, completes a third and six. Like they just kind of work their way down the field. And I, I just think they're going to, they're going to piece it together and, and a workman like 31, huh? Workman like 31. It's not going to be pretty, but um, that's my prediction. Let's uh, real quick, Washington, Stanford. So uh, 26 and a half point favorites, Stanford. They've lost to USC, Oregon and UCLA by an average score of 47 to eight. That's why I'm not giving the Cardinal uh, much, much room in this game. JJ's nervous about it. Uh, that's that's a good good response. Next next team on the schedule is the one that should get your full attention. But give me a give me a score prediction for this game from both of you. I'm gonna. Uh... Maybe take back my worry with my initial score prediction. And I'm going to say Huskies find their, their rhythm again. They DeBoer joins Jimmy Lake and Ty Willingham as the, you know, the trifecta of coaches that have beaten Stanford on the farm. Crazy to me that Peterson you, didn't win there. You remember that? I, I remember Lake. I did not remember it was – Willingham. I knew it wasn't Peterson, but I did not remember it went. I would have said Sark, I think. I saw it somewhere on Twitter. Okay. Um I think the Huskies roll 48 to 10. Mm. I think that's well within reason. Uh Jake, Jake, what do you think? Yeah, I think uh <laughs> I mean yeah, I, I think what the Husky offense needs, aside from health, right? They need Jalen McMillan back. They need to make sure Penix is 100% healthy. They need their offensive line. They need Belo healthy. Um, all those obvious things. I think the next best thing they needed was somebody to start to doubt them and to to knock on them a little bit. Because uh, I think Ryan Grubb can go into that room and go, you know, he's got their attention this week. Um and and rightfully so, like they sucked. Um, and so now, you know, you get people saying, well, maybe they're not as good as we thought, like blah, blah, blah. 
Um, great. Please keep running with that because um, I think that's exactly what, as a Husky fan, I want being being said to them and being in their in their minds. Um, I think this is a good. Uh, I just Stanford is not a good team. Um, I think that that Colorado game was such an aberration. Uh, remember this, the team that lost to Sacramento state. So yeah, I think the Huskies are going to put up 40 points. Um, I think they're going to give up some points. Um, so I, I'd be looking somewhere in the neighborhood, you know, I think 42 to 17, something like that. I don't know that they, that would not give them, would that give them the cover? No, they wouldn't cover, but, um, I think it's going to be a pretty comfortable, like that Arizona state game. I, from, from the first pick, I know I should say actually from the second pick, I was like, Oh, this is going to be one of those games. This is, this is going to be agonizing. I, I would be flabbergasted if that happened against Stanford. Um, yeah. If they don't win by three scores, I'm not going to say that that, you know, then, Oh my goodness, the sky's falling, but, I would be very surprised if they don't come out and put a, a a resounding exclamation point on this this Stanford team. I'm in complete agreement. I'm actually going further than that. I think I think they score 56, 56 to 14 when wow the Huskies. Hey, I think, Seattle, wow. I think just make it 54. Jerry Depoto would appreciate that. <laughs> oh gosh. Now that the Arizona Diamondbacks have made the World Series. Right. All right. Thanks to Paul Seawald. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, I think I think they score early and often. I think it's one of those games they have like 28 points in the first quarter or something like that, and it's just... Oh, yes. No, oh, from your mouth but, to God's ear, Mark. But, but I do, I think it might be a little fool's gold. Like, I think it might it might get you guys back feeling like this is 2019 LSU, and then and, <laughs> you know, you're going to be in for the rude awakening later, but but that'll, that'll, that'll come later, so... Uh, well, guys, hey, this was uh, this was a lot of fun. Great to be with you both and talk about our two favorite teams. Uh, obviously, a huge game for Oregon coming up and a chance for Washington to rest up before their gauntlet of the schedule really goes into full effect the following week. So uh, lots, lots to come here with the remainder of this uh, conference schedule, but uh, we will sign off. From here, I'll go and say for all my Duck fans, go Ducks. JJ, you want to sign off for the Huskies? For all my Husky fans out there, go Dogs. <laughs>